If you would take your Bible then and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the title of the message this morning is, Love Not the World. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your love, for your mercies. Thank you for your grace that you've given to us. Thank you for your church and how it functions, uh, works together in harmony. Uh, we pray as we look into the Word of God this morning, uh, we pray that you would continue as we've already been encouraged and challenged in Sunday school, but pray that again we'd be encouraged and strengthened and challenged in our walk with you. And I pray that we allow the Word of God to examine us and, Lord, to see if there be any wicked way in me. I pray that if there's any in our midst this morning who do not have assurance of salvation, that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts and deal with them about that and bring conviction, draw them with the cords of love to thyself and saving knowledge, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love not the world. This is uh, probably the greatest uh, strategy that Satan ever concocted to destroy the churches of Jesus Christ was to bring was not to persecute them and try and force them out of existence that didn't work you know the the old saying was in the early churches that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church the more they killed the more of them it seemed there was persecution only purified and strengthened the church of Christ but whenever they began to compromise and bring the world into the church with Constantine and unite the church with the state was the greatest source of destruction that Satan ever used to bring about the judgment of God upon churches. So as we consider this this morning, this command that God gives us to love not the world, neither the things in the world, and any man love the world, love of the fathers in him, I want to start out by saying we need to have an understanding of the purpose of the world. We do live in the world, and we are supposed to live in the world. God left us here with a purpose. We need to have an understanding of the purpose of the world. And as we consider that, I want to notice a couple of things. First of all, the meaning or use of the word world in the Bible. Uh, it uses the word world in several different ways, and the meaning is determined by the context. You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And here he's telling us to love not the world. So obviously we must not be talking about the same thing. You know. For God so loved the world. And if you read the context there, if you, uh, you know, which means you consider the usage of the word in the paragraph or the words around it before and after it, for example, if you go back to John, John 3.16 and look at verses 14 and 15 and then verses 17 and 18, John 
3.14 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Speaks of his crucifixion. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. So what he's talking about, he's talking about people. Not what we see as inanimate objects, trees and water and, you know, ponds and lakes and, you know, land and, and uh, uh, dollar bills and, you know, and on and on we could go about things. No, he's talking about people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that's the world, whosoever, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then again, verses 17 and 18, For God sent not his Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth. In other words, whoever of the world, or whoever is in the world, that believeth on him that is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. So we can easily see there, clearly see there, that when he uses the word world in John 3.16, he's talking about mankind. He's talking about mankind. Uh, and, and as he is in 1 John 2, 2. And he is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, he's talking about all of mankind. All of mankind. That's what the, world, world, the, 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 the word world there means, or the inhabitants of the world, or the human race. When we come to 1 John 2, 15, where he says, Love not the world... This word world is defined as worldly affairs, the whole mass of things earthly, the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, they're fleeting, they're temporary, they stir desire. They seduce from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ the incentives to sin. So this is what he's talking about. In fact, in, in 1 John 5, in verse 4, Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. In other words, overcometh the enticements, the allurements of the world, the enticements to sin. That's, that's, that's what he's referring to here. Uh, whosoever overcometh the world uh, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, I'm sorry. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You know, in Luke 9, verse 25, Jesus said, For what is a man advantage if he gained the whole world? In other words, you can gain all the pleasures, all the endowments, all the riches of this world. You can gain all that and lose yourself. So what are you advantage if you, if you gain the whole world and you lose yourself? Or be cast away? What is the advantage? And, and we're reminded here that all the things that we can, we can collect and gather in the world are temporary, but we are eternal. We have a spirit. We can have a relationship with God. We are of eternal value. But the things of this world pass away, as we're going to see in verse 17. So that's the meaning of the word world here in our context. And we secondly, we need to also understand how we are to use the world. We ought to use it. God gave it for our benefit. You know, God made Adam and Eve and he placed them in a garden. 
That garden was for their benefit. They were to keep it and dress it, but it was for their benefit. And we are to use the world. You know, it's not God's purpose to take us out of the world until our work here for him is done. You know, in John chapter 17, he prayed, Lord, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but thou wouldest keep them from evil. He didn't pray to take us out of the world. He prayed that the the Father would keep us from evil. And so we're here for a purpose until the Lord's done with us, until that last soul is saved and, and we're called out, or we go leave here in death, whatever that may be. But... We need to understand that we do have a purpose in the world. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 to 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse 29. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, which was a worldly-minded church. They were hung up on things that, you know, pleasures and, and, and endowments and riches and so on and so forth. And, and, and in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29, he says, But this I say, brethren... The time is short, it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. And notice verse 31. And they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. So they that use this world as not abusing it. So we are to use the world, we're not to abuse it. See, God made the world. But we have to rightly, but he set set parameters or boundaries to govern how we use the world. These are found in the law. And we see there are certain boundaries in nature. Now, prior to the curse, you know, the, the only boundary prior to the curse was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only one. And I hate to say it, but there's more boundaries than that now. I mean, you can't eat poison ivy either now. And that's not the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, well, I can assure you. You know, Pastor Webb, we were talking about poison ivy on July 4th, and Pastor Webb told us, told us a story about how Someone he knew was told that the way to get um, immune to poison ivy was to eat some. He said that didn't turn out good. Mm-hmm. I don't imagine it did. You know, uh, you know. Some people think it's you know you, it's good to smoke marijuana too. Why don't you smoke poison ivy? You know, you know, there are there are boundaries even in nature that God has set that as certain things we should not do and certain things we should not eat and so on and so forth. No, we need to rightly use the world. Rightly use it. The the word abusing it means to use excessively or for ill. In other words, for sin. See, we're to use the world to earn wages. Money. That is right. It's right to use the world to earn wages to live. And to give. Ephesians 4, 28 says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So those that steal, those that are on welfare, that are stealing from the rest of us, should get off welfare and go get a job, and so that they can learn to live and give. That's God's program. 
you know, Joseph was a diligent person working in the world, and he was a prosperous man whom the Lord blessed for his labors, and he used the world's goods to save people from famine. What did he do? He was using the world. He was not abusing it. Abusing it. In 1 John 3.17, 1 John 3.17, the Bible says, For God, uh, uh, um, Whoso hath this world's goods, you know, again, nothing wrong with having the world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him. So, so again, we're to use the world's, the world, but we're not to abuse it or use it for ill. You know, is that what you do? with the world's goods, to help others, to, to live and to give. Uh, in uh, Proverbs 11, 24 to 26, it says, There is that scattereth, yet increases. There is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that waters shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. Or as a selfish miser, people are going to curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth. Notice he didn't say give it away. He said selleth it. Nothing wrong with selling it to those that have, if they have to those that need it and have money to buy it. So 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 we are to use the world and have a proper understanding of the use of the world. We're to use it, but we're not to abuse it. Not use it for ill. You know. We are, we are not to live in the world, uh, live for the world, I'm sorry, desiring and seeking our satisfaction, our security from the world, but use it to fulfill the purposes and glory of God. That's the purpose of the world. But he says here, and again, the word love here means to lust after or desire the things of the world. It, it, the idea is, don't live for that purpose. You know, the love of the money is the root of all evil. And, and we'll look at that a little bit later. But anyway, so, so that's understanding the purpose of the world. Secondly, the appeal of the world. Notice verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so he, lists, he gives three things here, which we consider the appeal of the world, the lust of the flesh. And this is defined as the animal nature with cravings which incite to sin. And of course, the animal nature referred to the natural man. Uh, so this, the, the natural man has a desire or cravings to things which, which incite us to sin. Ephesians 2.3 says, Among whom also we all had our conversation times past in the lusts of our flesh. In other words, we desired to please the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature, that's our natural man, the children of wrath, even as others. So this is the, this is the appeal. And, and we, we see in the Bible, the Bible gives us a list of things that, that appeal to the natural man. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 says, 
now the works of the flesh are these. Now these are the things that, that appeal to the flesh, that the flesh desires and what the flesh produces. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, but, but really all those first four there have to do with, with sensual sins. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. Witchcraft is poisoning with magical arts. And you, it could include drugs. It's the word pharmacia, actually. Hatred is enmity. You got it in for somebody? You got it in for somebody? That's hatred. That's variance. Hatred. Variance, strife, quarrelsome, argue to get your own way. Uh, emulations is being envious or contentious rivalry. Uh, wrath, anger boiling over, strife, a desire to put oneself forward. And it really has the idea of lectioneering or, or intriguing for office. So, so you're seeking uh, office by a price. Boy, don't we see that. The guy that raises the biggest guy or gal nowadays that raises the most money has the most, best chances of getting elected in our, in our country. Isn't that kind of sad? And, and many of these uh, people that, that, have, that are serving in, in, in uh, local areas and cities, especially in DA's offices, it's, they're there because of the money put forward behind them to get them elected. That's electioneering. That's, that's, that's the word uh, strife here in, in uh, verse uh, uh, 20. Seditions, divisions, or the idea of standing apart, heresies, dissensions, arising from diversity of opinions or diversity of aims or desires. You know, these are things that we seek, we at times seek after to satisfy, to protect our flesh, to protect ourselves, and to get what we want, to gain our wants. It's the works of the flesh. It's the appeal of the flesh. It can also appeal to, uh, refer to lavish eating and drinking in First Peter chapter 4, verses Two and three, the Bible says that he should no longer live the rest of the time of his flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. So that's the lust of the flesh. And that's what the world appeals to. It appeals to your flesh, your natural desires. It gives you the idea that you deserve this. You know, the world's advertisements give you the idea, they appeal to your natural flesh that you deserve this, that this is good for you, this will make you somebody. This gives you liberty, this gives you freedom. In reality, it brings you into bondage, makes you a slave. Cigarette ads, of course, the cigarette ads are kind of a thing of the past because, you know, the cigarettes really got a bad, you know, as far as government controls, and, you know, they've really been suppressed. It's the beer ads, the alcohol ads. They really put it out there. They really appeal. You know, the bush ad with the, the horses, you know, the beautiful horses, and it's always the, the best lingo and the, the, the most appealing lingo. It all appeals to your flesh and and to the lust of the eyes. That's the second thing. The appeal, second appeal here is the lust of the eyes. He says in verse 16, For all those in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. 
Uh, the eyes delight in treasures, riches, possessions. They're covetous. You know, Achan lusted of the possessions of Jericho. Lot looked on the plains of Sodom with desire. We have to be careful what we allow or what we set our eyes to. Go to Matthew chapter 6. six. Matthew chapter 6. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon us, earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now notice the next verses that, that is connected with this laying up treasure. The light of the body is the what? Eye. This is the lust of the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And that word mammon has the idea of money things of this world. You see, don't set your eye on things that are fleeting, that are temporary. You know, I remember when we were in Maryland, and you know, I think it's good for people to invest. I think it's wise. Invest for retirement. You know, you know I plan on working as long as I can. But I have no guarantee that I'm going to have health to work as long as I live. And so the Bible says, consider the ant thou sluggard, prepareth her meat in summer for winter. And so it's wise for you and I to prepare for when we are not able to work. You know, forget about Social Security. It's not going to take care of you. Um, and by the way, it's not supposed to anyway. It's not what government's supposed to be doing. But anyway, that's another whole sub- subject. But, you know, you, the saying is we should invest. But I'm not talking about just investing here. I'm talking about what are you living for? Some people live just for money. That's their desire in life, to have riches. To have riches. In fact, First Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, But they that will be rich. Now the word will there has their desire is set on. That's their heart's desire. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. If that's your desire, if that's your focus point is to get rich, it's going to drive you or send you to places or direct you to places where you're going to be tempted to do that which is wrong to get it. If that's your goal in life, you're going to compromise the truth because Satan will bring an opportunity along. No, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and in a foolish and hurtful lust which drown men in destruction. For the love of money 
is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, you know, so we need to have a balance here. You know, Proverbs 13.4 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. That's not right. We're not supposed to sit around and say, wait for, wait, wait for God to provide for my needs. No, God's given us a body. He's given us a, 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 the ability to work. And he's given us a command. If any man should not, does not work, neither should he eat. The soul of the sluggard desireth not nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made, what? Fat. In other words, I will have. Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, ruler, provideth her meat in summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. You, you, you see, you often hear that rich people are covetous. You know, I come to the conclusion that's not true. I mean, I'm sure there are rich people that are covetous. But I find that some of the most covetous people are poor. They want. They want. And they want. But they don't have. And they're never satisfied with what they have. See, covetous has nothing to do with whether you have little or much. It's an attitude of the heart. It's where your heart's set. It's a heart matter. You know, many of the poor people who, who love their money and they're afraid to use it as it is intended because they're afraid they're going to lose it. They have to keep it. They have to keep it. It's the security. The only thing they have, they have to hang on to it. It's the love of money. Your money is a tool in life's toolbox. It's a tool that we are to use to live, to give, to invest for gain so that we can give more. That's the purpose of money. I mean, why do you work? Is it not to gain? should be. So that you can live and to give. You know, why not make your money work for you? It's a tool. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is that scattereth, yet increases there with the hold of more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. And so, you know, uh, we need to be careful what we set our eyes on. Set our eyes on. My, I had a, a relative through marriage, wasn't really related to me, but it was related to my sister through marriage, that his goal in life was to be a millionaire by the time he was 35. He was a very intellectual guy. And I don't know if he made his million by the time he was 35 or not, but, but it cost him his marriage. You know, it, it really messed up his life. Why? He was covetous. His desire was to be Rich. So the lust of the eye. What do you delight in? What do you covetous over? That's the appeal of the world. And then we see a third appeal of the world, and that is the pride of life. You notice there in 
1 John 2 says, For all that is in the world, uh, and by the way, all sin could be categorized in one of these categories. See, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the third one is the pride of life. Pride of life. Pride speaks of an impious or an empty presumption which trusts in the stability of earthly things. So it's to put your trust in, 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 this, in the stability of earth things. It's to display one's style of living or seeking of applause or admiration or the honor of men. You know, when, when Eve looked at that fruit, she said it was desired to make one what? Wise. She was going to be honored. She was going to be lifted up. She was going to be praised because she was going to be wise. She's going to be somebody. Is your desire to be well spoken of, to be liked by everyone? We all like people to like us. But that should not be our governing force. Flattered with praise and admiration. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees in Luke 16, 15, He said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination unto God. Oh, you value your position and your prestige in the world, but oh, that's an abomination to God. You value that over Judgment and righteousness. <clears throat> God told Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, For God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eye, lust of the eye, and desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, he did eat with her. You know, Satan said, I will be like the Most High. That's the pride of life. It's the pride of life. When you and I say, I'll do what I want, nobody's telling me what to do. God isn't telling me what to do. You know what that is? That's the pride of life. Because really what you're saying is, I will be my own God. That's really what humanism is. It's self-God. And the Bible says that this is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. It's of the devil. And so, we see here, understanding of the word world, purpose of the world, an appeal of the world. And then I want you to notice, thirdly, the passing of the world. Notice verse 17. It's, <coughs> excuse me. And the world passeth away, and the lusts thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The word passeth away is one word which means to just disappear, to go away. It's just going to disappear. It's just going to go away. It's sort of like fashions. You know, fashions change. You know, the joke was, joke is, if you keep your fashion long enough, 
you know, it'll go out of fashion, but sometime along the way it'll come back in. I remember a few years ago, uh, we were out in visitation, and, and a, a, a tire come off of a Ford Explorer coming down the road toward us, and came down the road and hit, hit us. We had a uh, Chevy Caprice station wagon at that time, and, and it hit us right in the center, and it crinkled my hood and, and, and busted the radiator, and it sent that tire flying through the air. It blew it out, too, busted the tire. Anyway, and, and anyway, and so we're waiting there for the police, and this the old farmer there along the road. This was on Jones Dairy Road. The old farmer there came driving over in his pickup truck, and this guy came out of, looked like a tenant house or something there on the right-hand side, and he had hair down to about here. And the man who was the husband of the wife who was driving Ford Explorer was there, and he said, oh, that's kind of out of style. You because know, there was a period of time where men wore long hair, you know, the hippie hair. And then it went out, it kind of went out of style, you know, the short hair came in. And then, what, do you notice it's coming back in? It's coming back in. See, fashions change. But, you know, God's standards never change. And that's the idea. You know, fashions change, circumstances change, our bodies change. You know, some, some guys marry a woman because of what she looks like. Because she's beautiful in appearance. You know what? She's going to get old. She's going to get old. The beauty fadeth. It's what's in the heart that matters. That's what's important. You know, the world is like a passing fad that appears and changes or goes away. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4, and he says, For this cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day for our light afflictions which are but for a moment. You know, we may be in affliction for a time. We may go through trials at times, but they pass. Just like you get sick sometimes, but, you know, I often say, well, this too shall pass. You know, somebody gets sick of that. Well, this, you know, and, you know, we get kind of concerned about it. Well, you know, this too shall pass. Well, you might say, well, what if they die from it? Well, it passed. I mean, really. Now, I know that sounds kind of corny, but the reality is if you're saved, we're going to be with the Lord. Uh, it's, a, it's a moment. Uh, but this affliction, our little affliction, it says, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not on things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. They're temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. See, it's what's in your heart and the desires of your heart that matter for God. Remember when Samuel went to anoint one of the sons of Jesse king and Jesse brought out Eliab. You know, he must have been a, a big strapping young man, you know, and, and you know, with a, with a good physique and it would make a commanding, you know, appeared to make a commanding king. And Samuel looked at him and said, surely, this is the Lord's anointing. And the Lord said, look not on his outward appearance. I don't look on the outward appearance, I look on the heart. 
And in the end of it, they brought in David, who was ruddy. He wasn't all that impressive. And he said, up, knowing him. This is a man after God's own heart. See, everything that one can attain and accumulate in this world is temporal. It's temporal. When they, when you leave this world, you're going to leave it. When they put you in the grave, if you die before the Lord comes, if they put you in the grave, you're not going to, you're not going to take it with you. The only thing you can take with you is the things that are, are eternal. Works that are eternal. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In verse 1. says, I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. Mirth has the idea of happiness. And behold, this is also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. Of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting mine heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven all the days of life. And your folly has this idea of comedy. Foolishness. Was the uh, comedian some years ago, trying to remember his name now, he was a very popular comedian, he hung himself. And he left a statement to the fact that his life was vain, no value. He, but he could make people laugh. But, but the reality was, in his heart, nothing was funny. What? Mirth. It's just temporary. It's foolish, foolish. It's just temporary. Um, sought in my heart, verse 3, to give unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was that good for the sons of men, which they should do unto the heaven all the days of their life. I made me great works, built me houses, planted me vineyards, made me gardens and orchards, I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruits, I made pools of water, and so on, so on, so on, so on. I'm going to read all this for sake of time. What was, notice verse 9. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. Whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. My heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. I mean, he had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines, and you know, and he had uh, uh, 3,000 horses, and he wrote 1,000 proverbs, or 3,000 proverbs, and 1,000 songs, and you know, he had orchards, and uh, singing men, singing women, and pools of water, and what didn't he have? I don't know. He had silver and gold. All kinds of exotic animals. Peacocks. Which people like to look at for their beauty. So what didn't he have? Notice verse 11. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, it was all vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no prophet under the sun. Go to chapter 12. Verse 13, 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. 
So he writes about everything under the sun. In the book of Ecclesiastes, that's what it's about. Looking at things from under the sun, from man's perspective. And he says, here's the conclusion of all this. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So Solomon would say, don't live for the things of the world. He'd say, use them. Use them for his glory. I mean, if God blesses you with wealth, use it for his glory. If God doesn't give you wealth, live for him, for his glory. Whatever God gives you, use for his glory. But don't set your heart, your security, on the things of this world, because they are passing away. When we lived in Maryland, um, it was during one of the recessions. I'm trying to remember who was president. But anyway, some, some, some investments went sour. And I remember one of the older men telling another man in the church, as I was walking by, that he lost $150,000 in two months. Investments. It can go just like that. You know, things of this world are not secure. They're temporary. And God wants us to use them for the purpose of glorifying him. There's nothing wrong with having the things of this world as long as we keep the right perspective in mind. But we are not to abuse the world, use it for ill, or set our heart on it. See, where is your heart set? That's, what it, that's the question we need to ask when it says, Love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is in him. Is our heart set on the things of this world? Or is our heart set on God and pleasing him while I live in this world? And use the things that God has given us in this world. Is my heart set on things of the world or things eternal? And the glory of God. So, consider your life. Where is your heart set? Love not the world. You know, one of the things I find is people that love the world are usually not content with the things of the world that God has given them. They always want more. They never have enough. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. Do you know that you come into the world naked? And you're going out of it the same way. So having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich, let's not be desirous 
of the things of the world. So again, the question is, not do you have things of the world, but are you living for the things of the world? That's what it means when he says, love not the world. God's not saying you can't have things of this world. He's saying if God gives you those things, use them for his glory. Love not the world. Let's pray.